we've got a new episode of Swings and Mishes coming up. For almost 50 years, all year cooling has been the place that keeps all of South Florida cool. Listen, you know, living here in South Florida, summer is coming, and you do not want to wait to have your system checked. You do not want to wait to replace your unit. You know how this goes. It gets very hot here, basically from the end of April into May and all the way through the summer into the fall. To give you an idea, 10 years ago, I called Tommy Smith at All Year. He is the owner. He's been the owner, he and his family, for decades. And I purchased a new unit from them. And here we are, 10 years later, I've had absolutely zero issues, and they have the best customer service of any air conditioning company I've ever used. In fact, I think I may have called Tommy twice personally in 10 years. I needed some help. And within the hour, they're at my house. They show up very professional they do a great job and then i'm good to go for months and months and years they're incredible in fact if you schedule a new unit installed before the afternoon they will come and put a new unit in your house in the same day no one in south florida can guarantee that they offer up to 60 month financing and remember i personally use all year cooling and tommy has been a personal friend of mine for over 10 years you call him you let him know you want a cool unit in your house this summer don't wait till june till it breaks down you have to do it now call 866-381-3554 or while you're listening to this podcast take your phone out go to their website allyearcooling.com click on the call now button you'll get connected directly to them and by the way my friend the owner tommy smith you can text him directly from your phone from the website right now and he'll set you up all year cooling is my personal place to go they keep my home cool they keep my family cool for more than a decade the number again 866-381-3554 Hello, baseball fans, and welcome back to another episode of Swings and Mishes, where this time I am speaking in English to start the episode. I'm Jeremy Taché, uh, your producer, joined by the incomparable Craig Mish, who made a a TV appearance this past weekend, actually, on CBS4 Miami, which was cool with Mike Cuno. Uh, I definitely enjoyed that. Craig, how are you doing today? Yeah, Yeah, that was fun. I appreciate CBS4 for having me, for sure. So. Yeah, it was a good time. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's getting to be uh, you know a slower time in baseball, but ironically for me, doing the TV appearance was cool. I also am going to be announcing a new radio show that I'm going to have soon in fantasy. So it's it's going to be a little hectic. We have the draft coming up for the Marlins, and so Jeremy and I will have a special episode of that next week. I'm excited for that to see who the Marlins end up taking. And we just thought that before we get into draft mode here for Major League Baseball and the Marlins. And before my new show picks up, let's knock out a another episode of Swings and Mishes where we can kind of recap what's happened over the last week. And everything's been going pretty well over the last week. I mean, the Mar- all things considered, the Marlins uh, had lost three in a row to the Nationals, but they did finish on a strong note. They finished with a win on Sunday uh, and then beat the Giants last night. So they're five and three over their last eight. And that, that you know, includes a three-game sweep over the Tigers. Uh, they went four and three on the road trip, but specifically the big things of note have been number one, the pitching has continued to 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 thrive uh, circumstantially. But number two, Harold Ramirez and Garrett Cooper are really heating up, and and Harold Ramirez basically came up on fire 
Uh, Ramirez in 13 games, he's hitting 413. He has just one homer, but 413. And then Garrett Cooper hit another homer last night. It was a shot into the standing room only section in uh, the Auto Nation alley out there and left. So, you know, what are your thoughts on Ramirez and Cooper as they're getting consistent playing time in the corner outfield positions? Well, Ramirez is really interesting because he's playing out of position in center field, and, and I don't think his long-term position, if he has a long-term future with the Marlins, is going to be in center. I think it'll be in left, and maybe he'll get some time in right, but there is no doubt that Ramirez is a guy the Marlins coveted this offseason on the cheap, which is kind of what you do when you're building or rebuilding a team, and he's made the most of his opportunities. And, and look, when the club decided that he wasn't going to make the team out of spring training. I'm told that he had several options of teams that he could have won to one being the team the Marlins are playing against right now in the San Francisco giants. And I got to tell you, they've used 12 outfielders already this season. Mm. There's a chance Ramirez could have flourished in San Francisco. They just, they really, I don't, the, the giants are in a very similar position to the Marlins. And maybe some people even feel that from an on field perspective, Miami could even be ahead of San Francisco, especially after, they inevitably trade Madison Bumgarner in July. So he chose to stick around with Miami. He, like a lot of other players playing for New Orleans, got off to great starts in the Pacific Coast League, but Miami showed some patience with him, keeping him in the minor leagues. They brought up some other players in the interim to see what kind of value they had. And finally, a couple of weeks ago, they gave Ramirez the shot, and he looks like, a hitter at the major league level. I was told before the season that he would somebody to keep an eye on that would be a hitter at the major league level. Now, the interesting part about Ramirez is everything that he hits is to basically the right side of the field. And I don't know that when a player comes up with such little video and scouting hmm. that you can really determine what kind of player this is from a pitching perspective. And also when pitchers go into their meetings and pitchers and catchers and the staff, they go in there. I don't know that you're game planning necessarily in the first week or two against a player named Harold Ramirez, Jeremy. It's kind of like, well, we don't know a lot about this guy. We'll see what he is. Right. And so I am very curious to see if he can maintain some sort of consistency and approach, because at some point I'm going to think that pitchers are going to just bust this guy inside constantly. And he's going to have to adjust to that because simply put, you can't hit everything to the right side. He's been able to pull it off, and we'll see just kind of how things progress. Obviously, he's not going to bat 400. I would doubt that he'll bat 300 over the course of the rest of the season, but he's a player that can hit 10 to 15 home runs. He makes solid contact. It seems like he's a grinder type. He reminds me a little bit body-wise of Carlos Santana. Mm. He played for many years with the Indians, switch hitter. And, you know, has that same kind of body, but I don't know that he'll have the on-base skills of, of a Santana, but certainly he's a major league player at this point. And provided that he can make the necessary adjustments, because those will have to come soon, their, their pitchers are now going to change the way they pitch to this guy. Why anybody would throw anything to him outside doesn't make any sense. He reaches out and just yep. nubs it over to right field. Uh, or hits it hard to right field, depending on the, the situation. So all positive signs for Ramirez. They, the Marlins scouted this kid, found him, and put him in the uh, proper position to succeed. Yeah, Ramirez, uh, let me correct myself. I had said corner outfield positions. I guess I was sort of projecting going forward because Ramirez has been playing center field. And like you mentioned, I mean, Ramirez even has a very closed-off stance. His entire approach is, I want to hit the ball the other way. So like you said, once pitchers start adjusting to that, it will be interesting to see 
how he is moving forward. But someone that has come up and, and torn it up to begin with himself is Garrett Cooper, and he'll be on uh, our podcast later uh, in this episode. But, but moving on, uh, one guy that's been tearing it up now still at the minor league level is Isan Diaz. He had a stretch there where he hit five homers in five games. He was on absolute fire. He's been on absolute fire for most of the season after a little bit of a rough start in the first couple of weeks. Um, but then there's Starling Castro playing second base at the major league level. And yesterday, Michael Hill said that, you know, the Marlins are in, in, in a rush to bring up certain guys. Uh, Isan Diaz was included in that conversation. So where do you see the Isan Diaz and Starlin Castro sort of uh, dilemma moving as we, as we move forward in this season? Yeah, and I think it's also important sometimes, as you know, on the podcast, when things are said, I'm here to translate those, not from English to Spanish, but from Mike Hill, <laughs> Mike Hill Public to private things. But, but I think what Mike Hill said yesterday is, in fact, accurate. And I don't think that that's any indictment on Diaz. It's just that there's almost as much of a focus of getting Starlin Castro right for the next two months as there is on Isan Diaz in the minor leagues because he's a Castro's a very valuable asset. But starting off with Diaz, of course, you can't ignore when any player hits five home runs in consecutive days at the minor league level. I believe Pete O'Brien did that last year in Jacksonville also. But Diaz projects as potentially the Marlins starting second baseman, I would say, as early as August. It will be predicated on them moving Castro. Everybody internally seems to think that there has been some very bad luck with Castro. I don't agree with that. I think that there is a very high ground ball rate. Last night was only the third time all season that he's doubled in a game this season. This is a 30-double guy, a four-time All-Star, a 29-year-old, better-than-average player. But for whatever reason, it hasn't worked out this season. So uh, I don't think that Castro is done by any means. It's just he's until last night was in the middle of the worst start to his major league career. And we'll have to see if that turns around because he'll still be owed at the deadline millions of dollars with another million dollar buyout next year. And who is going to want to take that on for a potentially reserved player? I don't know the answer to that, but I will say this, if he hits very well over the next two months, the Marlins will gladly trade him. And on August 1st, my guess would be if everything is going right for Diaz, then you would see him in August and September of this year, or, or at the very least September of this year. And we talk about Monte Harrison a ton too. I think eventually he will come up, although now that he's been placed on the seven-day injured list in New Orleans, uh, I don't know how much that changes things, certainly, and they're saying it's not a significant injury, but of course any injury is a setback. So we got to slow our roll a little bit with Harrison. But I do think we'll see Diaz this year. My guess would be the very latest September 1st, September call-up, Right. Uh, the earliest would be August 1st. And again, predicated on a Castro trade, because if they do not deal Castro, then I think all Diaz would do would come up in September and play two, three times a week. And going with, you know, you said to slow your roll on, on Harrison, obviously more in terms of not expecting to see him, you know, right after the trade deadline, maybe. But would you still expect Harrison to be someone that's called up around the September call-ups? Is that someone you expect to see this season at I all? I would say September 1st for, yeah. for Monte Harrison, last month of the season. I would say Diaz, provided that he continues to hit like this, you would have to be silly to not think that they wouldn't want to see two months out of him. Because remember, September is an almost impossible month to identify a player. Mm -hmm. You're getting so many minor league pitchers and the Marlins, like 20 other teams in baseball are going to be out of it by that time. And 
And who knows even what the Marlins staff will look like, let alone uh, pitchers from other teams too. So my guess is uh, Diaz first, then Harrison. Right. But I, if I had to guess, I would say both September 1st are, are, will be in the big leagues for at least a month. Well, we look forward to watching those guys. Um, you talk, we talked about second base with, with Castro and, and Diaz, and a guy that played a little bit of second base and a few other positions with the Miami Marlins is now tearing it up elsewhere, and that's Derek Dietrich. Uh, Derek Dietrich hit his 15th, 16th, and 17th home runs last night. It was three homers in a game. Uh, some fun stats here. He It's 6.9 at-bats per home run. Uh, that would be the second best at bats per home run in the history of Major League Baseball, behind only Barry wow. Bonds. Uh, no I always knew else. that was coming. I knew it. <laughs> well, based off Twitter, it sounds like uh, everyone thinks that they knew that this was coming with Derek Dietrich, and uh, I just don't remember it that way. And we'll, I'll let you explain here. But basically, Derek Dietrich was cut by the Marlins in the off season. Uh, and he obviously is having a career year. It's already a career high in homers. And, you know, last night Twitter was set ablaze by, you know, his Michael Jordan shrug after the third homer. And, right. you know, I, I'm just wondering what you think about Dietrich, who, who was waived by the Marlins and now is in this situation. Yeah, and, and credit the Cincinnati Reds for being the one team that, or at least the team that gave him the best minor league offer. Mm -hmm. in the offseason and gave him the best path to the big leagues because I tend to be the one that would give a team credit first before we go into how the other team got wrong, got it wrong. And I brought up, uh, you know, a situation last night that was similar, I think, to a degree, which is Max Muncy, who was just mm -hmm. let go by Brad Pitt, right? <laughs> uh, let go by Billy Bean. They made a movie about Billy Bean and – that's a team that, in terms of finances, is somewhat similar to the Marlins. They don't spend a lot of money. They could have certainly used Max Muncy. Right. And they completely whiffed on him. And he goes on to L.A. And, and it looks like he's going to have another big year. He was in the home run derby last year. So good job by the Dodgers. I don't see millions of people online crushing the A's. Maybe I don't follow close enough, but that's kind of what's happened there. Many years ago, a kid who grew up here in South Florida, J.D. Martinez was cut completely by the Houston Astros, just cut. They didn't like what they saw. And Detroit picked him up, and the rest is history right. with him. Ended up winning a World Series. And those are anecdotal. They're just two examples of guys. And I'm not even putting, by the way, Dietrich in, those, in that category. But, again, when Dietrich was with the Marlins – I, I, I'm not going to say that he was a bad player because he wasn't. He was an average player at the big league level. Every once in a while, he gave you some offensive pop. He really didn't have a position. To say that he could play multiple positions is stretching it a little bit because right. he wasn't really great at any position on the field. It's not like he was Marwin Gonzalez. Like, that's right. not who he was. He was a guy that didn't have a true position. Maybe second base was that position. And because of him being blocked by Castro, that just didn't end up happening. But I never thought he was a great defender anywhere. Mm -hmm. But he certainly was very fan-friendly and a good guy. And he has made the most of his opportunity in Cincinnati. But what people don't understand is that he was not traded in July. And then in August, the Marlins basically put him on waivers mm -hmm. and determined that if anybody wanted to claim Dietrich, they could have him. 
And, and I don't even know that they would have worked out a trade. They just basically would have said, yeah. you guys can take them. Nobody claimed them at all. Right. So the Marlins had them. They went into the offseason, and there were still no takers for him at all whatsoever. They ended up releasing him. It's not like the Reds paid him $5 million or $4 million on a one-year deal. They signed him to a minor league deal. Right. And it's just, it's when so many teams pass, I, I suppose that you can put some blame on Miami for not seeing it coming, but, but you know, every other team didn't want him either. So for me, this is just not one of those indictments on the club and one of those huge mistakes that they've made, like the Yelich trade. Clearly right. I've, I've been very candid about that one. I just, I don't think they made a good trade there. But this one was a player that nobody else wanted. This is like when Logan Morrison hit 40 home runs right. a couple of years ago. It's, it's, this is the same. And where is he now? Did Logan Morrison coming off a 40 home run season get a three-year, $40 million contract? He did not. And when Derek Dietrich at the end of the year has 28 home runs or 30 right. home runs, he's going to get a one-year deal from somebody, just like Justin Bohr. And Justin Bohr, by the way, the Philadelphia Phillies – Last year, traded for him. They traded a fringe top 30 prospect to Miami and cut Boar after the season. Right. They didn't want him either. So it's not like there were a million teams clamoring for these players, and it's just a matter of piling on on past transgressions the Marlins have made, and there are going to be people that do that, and I right. get it, and that's fine if that's the way that you want to go about your business. But you need to be educated on each situation, and I think this is just one where you credit Dietrich, you credit the Reds, and you just basically say, ah, sometimes these things happen like that in baseball. And it's easy to pile on Miami because they've made so many moves in the past that have been awful. But basically, over the last year, the one move that stands out as a poor move, and we still don't know the full results on that. Harrison could be an all-star. Diaz could be an all-star. We don't know. But at this point, with Yelich going to Milwaukee and becoming the MVP and being the player that he is, and the Marlins coming out publicly and saying they sold high on the guy when we know that's not the case. We know that there was some internal stuff there. I mean, come on. So, uh, but that, that's kind of where I stand with Dietrich. Yeah. I wish him well, and I did not uh, dislike him at all. He's a good person, very fan-friendly. A lot of fans liked him, but he, um, he just was an average player in Miami that's turning out right. to having a great season. And I, I listen, I, I hope at the end of the year that he cashes in on it, but what's going to be funny, I guarantee it, is that next April we'll be sitting here and Dietrich will be on a one-year, $2 million, $3 million deal with someone at most. And then what do you say at that point? You know, oh, yeah. I mean, don't say I told you now if you're not willing to go back right. and look a year from now because it's just kind of the way that, that situations pan out. Teams make mistakes. Teams give up on players. Teams make uh, the improper evaluations. There's no question that – for decades, the Marlins made misevaluations on players. We know the list of guys that have gone on to do great things, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, Dietrich's quote, Jeremy, of saying yeah. that uh, in The Athletic, that everybody has gone on to, uh, to do great things. I mean, more guys have gone on to do great things than others. But I would not say that D. Gordon has been great in Seattle. I would not say that Justin Bohr has been great in Philadelphia or with the angels. Mm -hmm. So it's not a hundred percent of the guys, but I, I think that he, he makes a fair point. Yelich is, if he's referring to Yelich, Yelich has gone on to do great things. Ozuna is having a great season, right? 
uh, I don't know how much further we can go from there. But those two yeah. guys for sure have gone on to do very well. Yeah, I think uh, – and the article that you're referencing, The Athletic released an article this morning uh, specifically detailing, and they actually even in the article had a mashup 25-man roster of some of the guys that are on the roster now and some of the guys that could have been – um, you know, and they specifically highlighted, obviously, Ozuna and, and Stanton, who's on the IL right now, and Yelich. But what they did get into as well are, you know, Chris Paddock, Domingo Herman, Luis Castillo, you know, some of the arms that could have been there. Uh, that said, the quote that you're referencing is Yelich, or Yelich, Dietrich did say, quote, all I can say is that everyone who has gotten out of there has done a lot better and is a lot better off, unquote, which everyone is is a pretty broad statement. But you know, I, I, the revisionist history on some of it is, I think, the thing that bothers me. Uh, it, it's like what we're mentioning. It's not like Derek Dietrich had a ton of suitors and that the Marlins were, you know, chomping at the bit to keep him. There's, he's having a career year. He's changed his approach drastically. His last six hits are homers. That's for a reason. It's an approach. It's in a small ballpark. Not, not to make excuses. These are mammoth shots. He's, he's, look, but he's having a great year. Maybe, maybe he'll be an all-star. Good for right. him. I'm, I'm happy to see him go on and have success when no one else in the league thought he would. I mean, that's exactly. essentially it. 29, 2018 because the Reds signed him. Right. But one, one team or maybe two in Major League Baseball thought that Derek Dietrich could do what he's doing right now. And, and I'm not discounting anything from the Reds. I'll give them all the credit in the world. Even if the Reds would come out and say, we never thought that this is who he would be and he's better than what we thought, I still give them credit for making that move. Because truthfully, yeah. the Marlins could have done that as well. Mm -hmm. This morning, somebody texted me asking me a question about, oh, you know, Dietrich seems so happy, and why do you think that is? And why is it everybody's leaving? And why is everybody happy? You can put this on any terms you want in life, in your own job, in your own work. Um, I don't know how to spell it out better for you, and I've spelled it out previously. When Jose Fernandez passed away, that changed. That was an altering franchise change. The owner decided to sell the team. You walk into a clubhouse that you played in, and you knew that your teammate was there right beside you, and he died. Mm. And, it, and it's not that everyone is so much happier because they left Miami. They left arguably the biggest tragedy that's ever happened in the history of any of these players playing professional sports. Right. And it's only natural to think, you know, I got, I got to get away from this. Like I'm thinking about this every day. I need a fresh start. And all these players are getting a fresh start. I, I think things would be completely different had that not happened. And I don't think that's being overstated enough. Mark Carrick did mention that yeah, in his article in The Athletic. So he obviously did. I want to make sure that we, we note that. But when players go through a tragedy like they went through, their own teammate and arguably the best player on the team on the field, I'm sorry, there's just not a lot coming back from that. There just isn't. And I know players have felt it for sure. Players who have been here for sure. What do you guys think? I don't talk to players who have played here before and, and do that. Of course, that just changed everything about this. And so, yeah, they're happier. They're out of this right. environment. It's a fresh start. They're not thinking about the, the, the locker that Jose Fernandez had that they have to look at every single day and remember that this guy passed away. I, I can't even imagine going through that. So just think of it in your own terms. You're in an office every single day. And the guy that you're sitting next to passes away, you're not thinking about that every time you go into that office. And how long are you thinking about that? A right. month, a day, a year, two years? Maybe you need a fresh start. So just understanding that, and, and that's really the, 
unfortunate cloud that that has hung over the franchise until now, basically, with all of these new players. I don't blame all of them for wanting to get out. I don't blame any of them, excuse me, for wanting to get out. I don't blame any of them for wanting a fresh start. I can't even fathom what it must have been like to go through that. But to not put that as the main reason why is doing a disservice to all of these players' situations. They're all in a new spot, and, and, and some of them are enjoying success. There's no question about it. Dietrich, in, in his position, has to be commended for what he's gone through. The statement that he made that all of the players are doing very well is not correct. It's incorrect. Right. But I'm not going to pinch pennies over certain guys and so, oh, David Phelps, what about him? Derek, David Phelps, how's he doing? You know? I mean, we could, we could do that right. too and find 30% of the players that, that have been gone that aren't as good, but he was a player that was cut, released, discarded, and now he's basically getting even and saying, right. hey, Marlins, look at me. And I, look, I'm, everybody goes through that too in their professional lives. You have oh, somebody yeah. in your life that doesn't like you. You want to stick it to them and get revenge. That's why in the NFL – they call it the revenge game. This guy goes up yeah. against his old D. He's going to have revenge. I get it. I understand it. But the passing of Jose Fernandez changed the landscape of the franchise, changed the way that players felt about going into the clubhouse every day. It is only natural. It's only normal. And so hopefully all of these players have better success and good success like Dietrich. Yeah. Well, and, and let's just look at the positive there. I mean, it's just why can't we just be happy that Derek Dietrich, who was a nice guy in the clubhouse, is just having a great season? I don't think we need to place blame on the Marlins for letting him go. Let's blame the other 28 teams that didn't pick him up either. It's, let's just be happy we have a guy that's having so much fun playing baseball because baseball certainly needs more guys like Derek Dietrich that are having such a good time out there. Hey, a positive trade. Garrett Cooper and Caleb Smith came over to the Marlins for what is seeming to look like one of the best trades the Marlins have ever made. And, and we're going to have Cooper uh, in an interview with you coming up very shortly. Is there anything you want to preface with Cooper before uh, we get to that sound? Yeah, we'll play the Garrett Cooper interview. And then we, uh, Jeremy and I will have a draft preview that will launch on Monday uh, at the ballpark. We'll, we'll kind of see what ends up coming out. And then, and then we'll have a draft recap next week when that's all said and done. I believe the Marlins are going to have some availability over there. So we'll be able to cover that in terms of Cooper. Uh, I, I think you'll enjoy this interview because I had, you know, a, the ability to have relationships with these guys. And there's no question that him being labeled as an injury prone player hurts him. He does not like it, but he understands it. And also, it's very rare for a player to kind of take you behind the scenes as to their approach at the plate when they see a pitcher. And essentially, in the hit that he got against Shane Green last week where he hit the grand slam, there was a little bit of trickery on his part in order to get the pitch that he wanted. You don't normally hear that from a player. So I appreciate him uh, being candid with me on that. To me, you can extend the amount of players on the club at the major league level with a plus one for Cooper for 2020 and meaning that Jeremy right now, I think I'm at like zero or one <laughs> of, of players that I want to absolutely see on this team at the major league level in 2020. And people will say, well, what about Alfaro? And what about Brian Anderson? Yes, they're okay. They're fine. And I'm sure that they'll play next year. And, and yes, they're good players or okay players, but I would love to be able to name five guys going into right. 2020 that are playing right now at the big league level that I could say, yeah, I can envision this guy in the lineup next year. 
and Cooper is now one of them. Cooper needs to play every day in right field the rest of the season. He's shown power and a lot of resilience for coming back from these injuries. He makes hard contact. So along with, at least through two weeks, Harold Ramirez, along with Alfaro, and along with Brian Anderson, maybe Cooper is the fourth player potentially on this team that could be an offensive player on the Marlins in 2020. That's not a great sign that I can't give you five guys on an entire big league team offensively. Okay. Pitching, they have a lot, but offensively that could be in the lineup next year, but I'm almost willing to put Cooper in that category too. So that's good. You only had two a couple of weeks ago. Now we're up to four. Let's pop the champagne. All right. Here's the uh, Gary Cooper interview. Take me back through, let's start off with the Grand Slam that you hit last week and kind of what was going through your mind during the at-bat when you came up to the plate, and that's as close as you're going to get to a walk-off shot, really, in the big leagues. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't think I've hit too many too many um, homers in the ninth. I think I did once in college. And, uh, you know, when I got when I was up in the hole, Grandy was on deck, um, Miggy stole. I think it was Miggy stole second, and I knew I had a feeling they were going to intentionally walk Randy just because righty on righty matchup. Um, stepped in the box, first pitch. I'd known what he threw, what Green threw, you know, a little sinker, a slider. Um, took the first pitch. I think I I wanted to see where where he was going with it. Um, the slider was was a pretty good slider, the first one. Um, I had a feeling the way I reacted to it, maybe maybe it set him up, set him up a little bit, maybe the catch a little bit by flinching a little bit on the on the take. And you know, that second pitch, I was like, he's probably probably going to go back to it. And uh, as soon as I saw it pop out of his hand again, I just stepped in the bucket and sat on it, and you know, turned and burned. And you know, it was kind of a backup slider. It wasn't the best slider probably to hit, but. You know, with with me sitting on it and you know adjusting to that pitch in, gave me the best shot to you know that was probably probably one of the bigger hits of my life. I was gonna say you hit a home run, and we saw you celebrate in the sky on that one. Like that yeah. was that was the big one for your career. But in terms of a of a grand slam, and and they can happen at any different point in a game. But that was the game winning hit too. I can only imagine you're just flying high for what 24 hours yeah. 48 hours family calling and saying wow like I can't believe it I, that's kind of how I yeah. view it you know I had about I came back in after my first home run the night before I had about you know 40 50 text messages from family friends you know ex-coaches that um you know coming in from that I think um I had about 60 to 70 messages uh just from you know all over the place, Twitter, Instagram, text messages, calls. Uh, <laughs> you know, just as soon as I got that first one off the bat, off the back, it was, you know, it, it kind of took that that breath of fresh air. Of like, all right, I got the first one out of the way, and uh, you know, coming in from from that from that home run was, you know, that the next twenty four hours, I don't think my phone stopped ringing. Uh, there was always a message or a notification or something. There was. Um, you know, getting tagged on Instagram on something or, you know, Twitter or something. It was just, uh, it was a whirlwind of, you know, 48 hours, those last, those two days in Detroit. And, uh, 
you know, I was happy to be a part of a win. Was there a point ever this year early on where you you left the game after being hurt? Because by now, for people who listen to this podcast, they know the history mm-hmm. of you. Was there ever a point where you just said, well, you know something? I know this game is for me, but maybe it's just not meant to be. Like, I just can't avoid this because it is just carried around you since you've been with this club. Yeah, you know, it's – it's uh like I've said the past year and a half, it's it's not the physical, you know, it's it's the mental aspect of can I continue, can I play at the level that I played the year before or two years ago um, when I started to really tap into my, you know, my potential, my my ideas, what I would become as a hitter. Um, you know, after, after getting through last year in the offseason and, you know, taking the surgery, working all the PT on the wrist and, you know, coming into spring and, you know, really feeling like myself again was uh, was a huge was a huge sigh of relief for me as a player. And uh, you know, my family, my girlfriend, you know, just people in general, you know, they saw the frustration last year that you know that I had to go through. And it was as soon as that 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 second game hit, and you know, the calf went, and I felt something again, and. You, know, you just you try not to think about it. You try just to you know grind each day, and you know baseball is already tough as it is without injuries. And you throw in three, four different injuries in a span of you know twelve to fourteen months. That's that's a whole different ball game. And just like any athlete that's gone through gone through any injuries knows how tough it is to get back to what you were before that. And you know just to get through all of last year and come to spring and feel healthy and perform and feel like myself again to get injured again was <laughs> the first time or the second time <laughs> I mean, first first time took took the breath took the you know air out of me just like ah man is this you know this was just a freak accident hopefully you know coming back and wearing one off a of hand against Bauer and thinking the worst because that's you know it was loud it was loud and it and the way when I took my batting glove off, it looked it looked worse than the year before when I got hit in the wrist, and uh, you know that was <laughs> that was just you know icing on the cake in terms of you know is this ever gonna ever gonna stop? Because at some point you just you feel like nothing you do physical therapy wise, health wise, you do all this stuff to get back to a hundred percent to have freak accidents happen again. That's you know, it's a part of sports and, you know, people go through it and, you know, it's, but I've never been injured more than, you know, a week or two at a time ever in my whole career. So it's just something that, you know, that I think my family and friends took, you know, took a brunt of, you know, because they were my outlet, you know, in terms of, you know, the fr- letting the frustration out and, you know, sitting on the bench and watching 100, 100 plus games last year. And uh, just to get back to, you know, to this point, to feel how I feel and, you know, that's what, just to try to stay healthy, stay healthy, you know, play every day and get the at-bats, you know, that's all I can ask for right now. I don't know how close you pay attention to it, but, you know, I kid with you, other people kid with you about it, and we know that it is a game, it's very tough to play, mm-hmm. it's an, especially with you, with the injuries where you've grown up your whole life, you've had none, now all of a sudden you have a million. But is it tough to kind of wade through when people say, oh, Garrett Cooper, oh, he's always hurt, you know? Like, that's the kind of thing that people will say, not knowing the past. I don't know how much you look at that or you pay attention to it, but 
certainly you can understand from a fan's perspective who doesn't really know you and doesn't know your past that they could just look at this and say, oh, that's the player that we can't get on the field. Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, any guy that goes through it, I'm sure there's been, you know, hundreds of athletes that sign on a team or get traded to a team. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stigma about like, oh, what can this guy do for the team or how can he, how he can help? And, you know, if he's never on the field, how is he, you know, how is he an asset for this team? How is he, how is he someone that, you know, the team can rely on if he can't stay healthy? And I'm not saying, you know, that I'm injury prone. That was not, I mean, for me to get hit by a pitch, an errant pitch that, you know, how many times, how many innings have I played baseball? How many at-bats have I had where, you know, that I get hit and it's, you know, I get hit in the wrist by an 88 fastball last year that you don't think, you don't think, you know, maybe 97, 98 would have broken something. You don't think, you know, an 88, 89 mile hour fastball is going to tear, tear a tendon or tear a tendon sheath, whatever it was last year. Just, you know, you don't, you just, it's not like a reoccurring injury of the same, same injury that, you know, that you've had throughout your whole career or something like that. It's, you know, it's been <laughs> two, two hit by pitches. You know, luckily the one this year didn't, didn't break anything, you know, knock on wood that, you know, just those kind of things happen. And, you know, tons of guys have gotten hit in the hand and broken a bone or hit in the wrist, broken a wrist. You know, it's just, it's been magnified to my effect because all of last year and then coming back getting injured again. I understand that. And I, I get, I get the whole, you know, the injury prone, but it is what it is. I mean, I can't, I can't go back and change and I can only move forward and, you know, change, you know, hopefully change what people think you know by playing every day and getting the at-bats and showcasing what I can do what I know I can do but it, at the same time there has been a you know a, a wrench that has been thrown you know to start off my tenure here and, and by the way for those people who are listening as another joke that I'll throw in I'm keeping my distance from Garrett Cooper because I don't want to hurt him during this interview a joke uh, okay so there are people in the organization there is no question because you were one of the first moves made by this new regime of CEO Derek Jeter and Vice President Gary Denbo, they brought you here. And I think that it's pretty evident that at least someone or somehow is making a conscious push to try and give you as many opportunities as they possibly can. Do you feel that way? And what does it feel like to be really, I would say, pushed by an organization? Because certainly there's a lot of other talented players that they could make a choice for to use. But every time the opportunity has been there, they want to see you in the big leagues. And how does that feel? You know, that's you know that's that's always great. No matter what what sport you're playing, you're to, to have people that you know that high up that that have that um, you know dedication or belief in you as a player to you know hopefully maximize what they think you can do. And you know, there's you know you don't get to the big leagues you know without performing at a high level. So. And to stay in the big leagues, you have to perform at a high level. And, and everyone knows that. Every rookie, 10-year vet that's ever been in baseball know that you have to perform no matter what level you're at because there's always someone behind you or someone down the lower levels that's always, you know, pushing for your job. And that's how it was when I was coming up through the minors. It's just you're trying, you're trying to perform at a level and you're, and you're hoping that you get that shot because a lot of guys – don't get that shot even you know even though they deserve it or there's you know there's I'm sure there's thousands of guys that have had the cup of tea in the big leagues that you know they thought they should get more or you know but it ultimately comes down to what they think or what what your potential they think that could 
you know, maximize for the team or to help or to showcase. And, you know, it's, it's great. You know, I've I had a relationship with Gary with the Yankees. You know, he traded for me over there to, you know, come in. And, you know, I performed well over there in the short time I was there, um, you know, to come over here. And, you know, with some of the openings that they had, you know, in the outfield and at the infield, um, you know, just I'm sure – as much as I was frustrated about last year, I'm sure they were just as frustrated. And, you know, it's it's not like it's not like you're letting anybody down, but you feel like there comes a point where you want to perform for those guys that, you know, they believe in you, they believe in your potential. And, you know, just like Caleb, Caleb got traded with me and, you know, they believed in him and they, you know, they wanted to see him be the player that he is. And, you know, he's he's tapping into that right now with how well he's doing and, Hopefully that you know that's what I want to do, and that just like any guy, I guess the big leagues they want they want to perform and they want to stay and they want to be you know five to ten, fifteen years in the big leagues. That you know that's every kid's dream, and but to have somebody you know believe in you at at this level that you know they want to showcase and see what you can do, I mean it that's great. But you have to perform, and you know everyone knows that, and it's it's a tough game as it is. It's it's you know it's it is what it is, and. You know, there's there's obstacles, and I think I've gone through a little bit more than the usual player up here. And you know, this <laughs> this past year and a half has made me stronger mentally. You know, it's 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 uh it's been a it's been a tough road to get back to where this is. And you know, hopefully that you know I get to keep playing and keep performing and you know keep moving.